0: Hey everybody, Clint Fosley here and welcome back to the 29th edition of the Clint Fosley podcast entitled PTSD and Invisible Injuries with Andy Fermo. Now this is one of those podcasts that's pretty surreal I guess as a civilian because Andy was in the special forces and it's all about you know, stuff that we see on TV and the movies that are dramatized, but for him it was real and it actually was there, right? And and it's it's something that I personally cannot get my brain around and I don't think anyone else can until you in that scenario. As always, we talk through Andy's journey in terms of, you know, how he grew up in in mining towns and, you know, as a minority and and how that sort of helped shape him and and, and his identity. And then on his path to, you know, becoming a bit of a party boy and then sort of getting his, you know, everything his life in order and joining the military, and then eventually ending up in the special forces, where he did two tours. And you know, we, he's very, very open to share when when shit got dark, man, when things got very, very heavy, and and how that affected him. I don't want to spoiler alert on this, but it was it was really insightful. And you know, the pressures that that um, you know the military and especially the special forces are under uh, in terms of the trauma that I have to deal with, and just you know, get on with it. And and he's you know very vulnerable and open enough about how he had to deal with that journey, which is pretty amazing. Andy's now running a charity called Invisible Injuries, which is all about helping ex-military and first responders in dealing with trauma and, and you know, dealing with obviously seeing seriously horrific events that you and I, as, as an average man and woman in the street, can't really comprehend, but just helping them deal with that. So, if any corporations are out there who, you know, who get their funding from military, from a, from a work, then please, you know, donate to Andy's charity, Invisible Injuries, and um, they're really doing amazing thing to try help as many people as possible. As always, if you're a guy out there and you're struggling with uh, divorce or separation, All the courses are up there, clintfosley.com forward slash helpme. I'm also offering now group and one-on-one coaching, so clintfosley.com forward slash coaching. I just wanna thank Andy so much once again for sharing his valuable time and sharing his story. Uh, We leave nothing on the table here and he's completely open and vulnerable, so thank you so much to him. Once again, please, you know, if you are in the corporate space and you're getting funding from all your defense tenders, then please, you know, go head over to invisibleinjuries.com.au to help Andy out. Uh, I know you absolutely love this one once again. strap and enjoy and we'll see you on the other side. Clint Fossey here and welcome to the 29th edition of the Clint Fossey podcast. Uh, today we're joined by Andy Firmer. Andy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me so much on the podcast, Clint. Brilliant. So today we're talking all about PTSD and Invisible Injuries, which is your charity. Yes. Um, How has your day been so far?
1: It's been amazing, thank you very much. It's it's Friday, so it's (laughs) the start of the weekend. Uh, We're going to be going camping this later on this weekend to start off the school holidays, so uh, I'm looking forward to
0: it. Sweet, so where are you going off camping?
1: Oh, it's just uh, along the Merry River there, so just near north of Mm Gympie and and inland. Uh, Brilliant,
0: Yeah, We're also taking the kids up to Rainbow Beach tomorrow. Yes. Hopefully a couple of day trips to DI, get some waves.
1: That's right, you know, switch off, not much, uh, you know, sort of get disconnected from all the social media and all that other stuff and just relax
0: so you've been telling me you've been on daddy daycare full-time for a bit
1: yes i've been <laughs> 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 all that, yeah,
0: that yeah,
1: yeah, yeah so, so ne- ne- nearly sort of two and a half weeks now but who's counting <laughs>
0: yeah brilliant so as we always do on the podcast let me just turn on do not disturb here mm-hmm. uh, as we always do on the podcast just just a backstory before we get into the whole ptsd and what you're doing with invisible yep. injuries Where did you grow up? What are your interests as a kid? You know, how how did that all, you know, how did your journey start?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Andy, Andy Fermo, founder of Invisible Injuries. Um, I'm a, a military veteran. Uh, Forty-one years old and uh, and a father of two, husband of one, uh, I think so. <laughs> and uh, so to my beautiful wife Claire. And so how I um, before I joined the military, I, yeah. I grew up in mining towns here. So okay, we migrated rich. to Australia in nineteen eighty-two, and my dad was in the mining game. And where did you migrate from? Oh, we, we migrated from the Philippines okay. uh, through 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 uh, through uh, Africa actually, okay. <laughs> through Brilliant. Zambia. So I lived there as a staging area for, yeah. and then and then got the um, my parents sort of applied for. Several places, yeah, and we got either Canada or Australia, and they chose Australia, you know, because it was in the mining game.
0: So, what so what age were you? Because it is, I mean, obviously, Zambia, huge mining there as well. So, what age were you as a kid? Do you remember going? Oh,
1: yeah, so we we migrated there when I was one, yeah, and then and then we moved. We moved to Zambia when, when I was one and then yeah. moved here when I was like four. Okay, cool. Yeah, so three years there. It's kind of like staging ground to, yep. to, to put the feelers out for the different countries and then and we got here.
0: Crazy. And then when you came to Australia, where did you land? We
1: landed in Perth. So we landed in Perth, where there's a lot of mining in WA yeah. and in the Northern Territory. And so we, you know, sort of, I grew up in in rural mining towns in the yeah. 80s, <laughs> you know. So we were, uh, you know, rough. pretty rough. But I'm a minority group, yeah. um, let's say. And yeah. so, um, but. We were being in mining towns. We, we, it was up to us to be able to create our own fun yeah. and and create our own adventures. So that's where I suppose some of the the love for, for adventures and, and being mm. out there in the bush. The bush is one of the things. The waters one of my other um yeah. sort of uh, calming places. And so we, we had to uh, you know had to make our own fun in the yeah. bush. Um, it wasn't until I was nearly in high school where where my oldies moved back to the city back to Perth and um. You know, sort of went to a, a normal primary school with, with more than 30 kids, you know, um, and so that was one of the things we moved as kids mm. around. So that was part of the thing that helped me be able to, to, to make new friends quite easily um, yeah. and being able to adapt. to to different situations.
0: And just pulling back to those, those early days when you said when you came across obviously as an immigrant was, you know, in the mining towns are rough as nuts from my understanding. (laughs) Did, Did you feel isolated or as a family, I wouldn't say outcost is the wrong word, but yeah. did, did you have that sense? With as, an o- that?
1: as an outsider, I suppose you know, yeah. as a minority group, yes. Yeah. Um, but the thing was, when my parents migrated here, yeah. they they came here with the view they've got their their Filipino group, mm-hmm. but their mindset was to be able to integrate as much as we could into the Australian society. That's the whole thing. If they wanted to to just have only yeah. Filipino mm-hmm. friends, yeah. then they'd stay in the Philippines. You know what I mean? So the whole thing was okay. Yeah, cool. We've got our Filipino friends, but that's let's just not have that as our one peer group and and do that so i think that moving around we did have that but you know we didn't have the support of immediate family Mm. we had ourselves so that's why that's a really important thing for me that's carried over to be to to have the importance of a a family or a strong family unit and communication and um yeah it was it was difficult because you know we was i didn't realize it as much but um you know you know, there was racism there and there was all these things. And it's just all the little underhanded things that might not have been overt, but, you know, just the little bits Mm -hmm. in the names, like, you know, Hey, you know, it's it's the yellow peril coming here or the this and the that, you know, but it's just, um, but at the end of the day, um, I wasn't personally, I can't really remember being subjected so much to this bit where it was Mm -hmm. just really violence, racism. It was more verbal, but even still then, that's still a form of bullying and, and and, you know, sort of, um, uh, yeah. So, I mean, sometimes we felt like, uh, uh, you know, okay, who who were our people? But we already always yeah. had a, our people wherever we were. But it was, you know, at times, yeah, and like, okay, well, why does everyone – why do I have brown skin and everyone yeah. else is a white person, you know?
0: It's actually quite quite interesting observation because for me, Australia from as a South African, right, is, is – it was always multicultural and I had a, a good friend of mine, Sarah. She's from Sri Lankan descent in the yeah. podcast. Yeah. And, and uh, she also, you know – my assumption on that multiculturalness is not true because she said she never felt that she fitted in at school oh. because of you know the darker skin yeah. tone or whatever it was i think it's just just want to harp on your parents going outside the filipino comfort zone i think yeah you know especially i don't know south africans are very guilty of that they stick within their yeah you know within their clan when they emigrate, yeah. and i think it's amazing that your parents chose okay. that path like my my strategy when coming to australia for our families i want to associate with cool people yeah I don't want to say I just want to be with South Africans because then as you said you might as well stay back home yeah do you think with them having that sort of outtake or meeting a lot of people because obviously you're an outgoing guy yeah helped you just to sort of connect with people quickly
1: yeah absolutely I think that you know that was one of the things even though yeah yeah we had different skin we never had problems um, integrating with people who who had that similar values as, mm-hmm. as well as, you know it doesn't matter what um sort of cultural background you're from even though in, in, in at that point in time it was very much a lot of what we always had friends yeah and you know yeah sometimes you feel okay well why is that their skin different to mine but that wasn't uh, that i was outcast you know we always had friends and yep. we always had stuff there like i said when you're in a mining town there's not really that many people so if you can't get on with people yeah but, you know even even with people in the, in the indigenous community um uh, we had, had friends in the I lived in some pretty uh you know um you know the mining towns are quite remote and uh you just had to had to get along yeah yeah
0: so when you went to school um obviously a bit of a culture shock you know yeah and uh as you know getting into a sports structure so what sports were you interested in a kid and yeah besides running around in the bush on the mining oh yeah in yeah
1: yeah so in, in, in the mining towns of yep. wa and um and northern territory uh, afl is, is big AFL, one? The big one? A- afl is the big one so we, we always sort of played a little bit of afl mm-hmm. always played some stuff around the sport but you know as a young kid it was more uh, th- those sort of programs were just more footy around the field yeah. you know growing up in, in in the school it wasn't until we got to like high school and yeah. did some other sports. I had to go AFL and, mm. and then, um, you know, I was into the, into the bodyboarding and, and the surfing and yeah. that sort of party, that sort of surf lifestyle because we'd moved from the country to the beach. So I discovered the water and yeah. you know, I'm like, wow, what's this? And, you know, and, and so my love for the beach and the water sort of started there.
0: Brilliant. And that's in Perth?
1: In Perth, yeah. Okay, yeah. sweet. Yeah.
0: So, so I mean, another thing I know you're hugely passionate about is music and you're yes. a DJ. Yeah. Um, we, we desperately need a DJ for our parties yeah, because, uh-huh. you know, you – everyone's got the phone and you play, you know, sort of a hundred or three quarters of a song. It's a a disaster. But um, when did your love for music start?
1: Yeah, I think my oldies, my oldies have a pretty pretty good um, uh, background and, and taste in music, mm-hmm. you know, but uh, sort of my love for music sort of started a little bit more when I was in in high school, you know. Um, I've got my first single. It was uh, – oh, no, even even just before I started, I got a single that was done by a band called Ice House. It was a cassette, yeah. you know, and I had my little cassette recorder, so that came with me everywhere. That was the start of the love for music. The Walkman. The Walkman, Walkman <laughs> the Walkman, <laughs> and then um, I – uh, you know, sort of one year, mum went back to, to the Philippines and came back with all these um, tapes. Mm-hmm. And I just think about it now that you've mentioned that, Clint. You know, she came back with all these, the some big bands, you know, some Led Zeppelin, some Queen, and yeah. this. And I thought, oh, what are these bands at the time? Because it wasn't the top 40. I was listening to Rock Set. You've got your Dale Braithwaite, you've got Johnny Farnham. And anyway, I saw that I heard the guitar and they were wailing at them. Whing, whing, whing. Yeah. And I'm like, how do I do that? <laughs> so um, that was one of the first things, you know, I learned how to play the guitar. Yeah um Teach not, yourself or no it? i got some classical lessons to give me the groundwork yeah. and then it was just you know i had a great teacher there that sort of taught me how to learn to, yeah. to do things by ear and then so i just went from there you know nice. 90s grunge that was the sound yeah. uh, a bit of heavy metal you know I, yeah i was a bit of a music snob back then and that was my love for music um and that was always the case any bands uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of bands. Yeah, yeah. So it's a, any sort of '90s alternative bands, you know. You no, band. I mean, were you in
0: any
2: bands? Oh, no, I was. Yeah, <laughs> no, I was.
1: Not that we had any much success. I yeah. think the the biggest one in one of the bands that we had, and I, I forget the bloody name of it now. I didn't think thought of it in that long. Is that we entered in this competition of Battle of the Bands? Yeah. And, you know, sort of we did okay. Yeah, and I thought, well, you know, if I'm not really that good at that. Maybe I can just sort of help organize some gigs or yeah. some parties or something like that so that was always a yeah. thing that we had
0: classic so were you always on guitar singing as well or what is no your-
1: no nah, nah, i don't have much of a karaoke <laughs> voice so <laughs> i do once i've had a few beers as we, but, all, as, as we, as we, all, we all do yeah. but you know like sweet carola yeah it's, um, but no that's that, that's what you do. guitar sweet yeah. man and do you yes, still
0: sir. do you still find time to play
1: now uh, every now and then. Yeah. So I think um, like with the camping, I'm going to be taking out the guitar and, and, and it's more like the acoustic guitar. Yeah. Um, we've done, a, you know, a jamming with friends when we can. So mm-hmm. I do ha- muck around on the guitar a little bit still, uh, but DJing is the main thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm and and how often are you doing that now?
1: Uh, with COVID, well, yeah. But yeah, with, with COVID as much as we can. So anything, I, I'm, I'm quite grateful to, to have a niche that doesn't always rely on on a specific venue or, mm-hmm. a, or, or a pub yeah. or something like that. So my niche is to do corporate and um, corporate events and functions, yeah. private parties yeah. as well, milestone parties, the, uh, the occasional wedding, and, and, you know, and then I do product launches for, for companies as well. Cool. So that's my niche and then the boys in the clubs – know me as when they're burnt out and need a break, they can come in. So I've got like a gig most weekends. Oh, nice. I've got a really good yeah. corporate gig at the moment with um, with my friends at F45 in, in Noosa yeah. and Coolum. Yeah. So that's really good because then, you know, I, I like to work out myself and fitness is a big thing. Yeah. And um, I get to to give people their pump on when, when they're working out and it's really great and, and rewarding to see that.
0: So do they um, actually have you in DJing live during the workouts? Yes,
1: that's tomorrow morning is, is one as well. <laughs> that's so cool, man. Yeah, so I'll be going to to, um, to call them just down the road tomorrow morning. There you go. Six in the morning and then it, just like the guys will come in and sort of I'll always go, okay, what's the demographic of the crowd mm. here? They're younger or older. Yeah. Okay, let's get some bangers in for that. And you always see them like some of them have got their, their heart rate monitor. Yeah. And, um, you'll see that they've got the heart rate sort of going at it. You know, that's why I always play some eighties music because it was fast. Nice, yeah. it's, it's the best genre ever. Yeah.
0: So when you, when you were pulling back to when you were at school, mm. um, you, you obviously joined the military. Did you, mm. did you join that straight out of school? What, when did that kind of become, become a plan for you?
1: Oh yes. Okay. So in, in high school, uh, when we sort of, uh, when I started high school, yeah. I still wanted to have that captain adventure. So I joined the cadets you know, um, the, the, which was
0: in the school system. Right? It, was,
1: it was kind of in the school system of the, you know, the, the, the school that my, my parents wanted me to go to. Yeah. So that was one of the extracurricular activities. And I loved it. I loved doing the orienteering, you know, the once a year, the, the once or twice a year camp where we got to abseil and do all the adventure <laughs> things, shoot a gun, yeah. you know, watch something go boom as an example. All those little things, or, orienteering was one yeah. of them and map reading all those you know, maybe some of the kids might not get it these days if you have a younger audience you know what's that on the google but learning to read maps yeah. so that was one but then I succumbed to you know beach girls fun parties uh, and uh, sort of into that sort of year M- middle high school started to grow the hair and it got to the point where I couldn't hide underneath my slouch hat or cap that you yeah. had so I cut that away for a few years and then I lived the sort of you know that sort of party lifestyle from mm. high school to into the early sort of should have been uni years but I was just you know sort of yeah. my focus wasn't on academia mm. there was more on partying yeah so uh, you know look I, and, and sort of I had some jobs there yeah did an electronics degree um and so I built my own amp for the music <laughs> everything was rolled around yeah. trying to you know get a big more power and it wasn't until um you know my brother joined the army as well followed okay. followed in what I was doing yeah and then my younger brother yep. and then sort of I skew with a little bit to be mm. honest with you um and then went down that path of of you know sort of that party too much lifestyle mm. and it got to a point there where um you know I had some concerned friends and family and my brother was was there he said, well he was in Melbourne at the time and he flew back and said you know what's going on you know you yep. wanted to do this and I said look I think I'll give it a go because I was at a, that was a pivotal point in my life where yeah. I was like okay do I make a choice now to make something positive for myself or just sort of be you know party guy a, a party guy yes. you know shit kicker just doing nothing no no focus mm.
0: and were you still in W in Perth I was
1: time? I was still in Perth at this yeah. time okay. because I had a great job at one of the best best bars at the time <laughs> so that's why you know I thought I'd study at uni I think that lasted for half a semester because I had such a great job there. You yeah. know, I could have gone down that hospitality path as well mm-hmm. if I wanted to, but then I joined the army.
0: Yeah, and, and where did you? Where where was your intake?
1: My intake was in Perth as well. In Perth, and right. the, the funny thing was, is coming from a you know sort of a, a, a Asian heritage, my dad was like, "Oh," and then, and, and a migrant family as well. You yeah. know, it's like, you know, he's like, "Manjong, you have to get a job. You have to be a doctor right. or a <laughs> dentist or an accountant or something." I'm like, "Oh, Dad, I don't think I'm ever." going to be one of those kind of guys. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, and, I lo- and I love the oldies, but, you know, mining wasn't for me because I think that fly-in and fly-out when that's why we moved to the city was a bit of a turn-off for me because I, I did lose my dad for, for a number of those years. That was probably one of the inherent problems that some of the audience might might connect with if, if they're familiar with fly-in, fly-out. And I was like, okay, well, I didn't have a father figure there for, for over that half the time because yeah. they were there. Now, the army on the other hand, was one of those things. And he said, well, at least I'm happy for you to join the army. He was always pro-military. Yeah. But then he said, you know, get a job. So, like, you know, from a, from an Asian background, I thought I'll join and I'll dip my toe in the water as a reservist part-time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I still had another job going on um, back in Perth and uh, I'll do IT. <laughs> so, the IT Asian guy in the <laughs> army, I'm like, okay. And when I got to train recruit, yeah. recruit um, school in Wagga, you know, I love that, that lifestyle so much yeah. that I thought I'll go full time.
0: And, and do they, because in Africa for the intake, they have basic training, That's where the guys best. get flogged for oh, yes. however long. So how, oh, how long, what is, it, what is that, that coming from party guy yeah. to square bed and yeah. what is that adjustment like?
1: Oh, it, was, it was a really good adjustment. Yeah. You know, sort of you sort of have to sort of decompress and sort of iron yourself out before you go because mm. you've got so much rigorous testing. But that lifestyle there, I think it was 12 weeks. Is that what did that count? Yeah, it was 12 weeks and there's each phase, like, you know, you've got in four week blocks that you're going in as they transform you from a civilian to the basic military soldier. And for me, I really like that structure because as I, as, as I got my head back and I was thinking clearly mm-hmm. and I had that, that, um, that vision, that's what I wanted to do. Yep. And and I enjoyed it so much that I thought I'll, I might as well just go balls deep and and, and have a go. Yeah, so I,
0: I we, because in South Africa, because of apartheid, it was actually compulsory to go home. Yeah. You had to go for two years. Yeah. And we we were the first year to skip it coming out of year uh, 12, so we never went. Um. But the stories that I heard, you know, yeah. through that basic training, were well, there some classic ones. Have you got any, looking back, any funny stories, any crazy stories from that first 12-week intake that you can remember?
1: Uh, oh, from the first, for, for first 12 weeks, yeah. yeah. The, well, our, our section commander, the guy that was teaching us always, always said, I'm just a cook, right? I'm just a cook. And I'm like, okay, he doesn't look like a cook. He was a big, you know, very stocky, wiry yeah, guy, but yeah. really stocky. And I'm like, what the hell is this? This reminds me of a movie. <laughs> and anyway, it, and it was, you know, sort of, um, it was called Under Siege, right? Yeah. And Steven Seagal. Seagal you know, he was yeah. like a big special forces guy with a knife. And, yeah. and, um, that was the story that he was using. for for this because we're like why is this guy so skilled and he's really good and and he would always take the piss out of this and it was off that movie so he was he was actually in the in the SAS I found out later on okay a couple of years later on and we'd go in but you know sort of just the little things that they'd come in and beast the beast the hell out of us you know and and it was just it was just a game to them yeah you know uh, I suppose at, at that time you're always kind of half half scared about what the consequences are so that's the, them playing practical mm-hmm. jokes, but you know, sort of, it wasn't. There was some more funnier stuff or, or or more classic moments when I was in when I was in the Special in the in, in the system. Yeah, because I think you know when when you're being trained up for those things, the beastings aren't for the sake of beasting you and being mean. Mm. It's about trying to see what your character's about. You know how yeah. much metal and mental toughness or physical toughness that they got. Are they going to answer back when the time comes? You know, yeah. if they went to war and I gave you an order, are you going to answer back and ask questions yeah. you know um so they're, they're the things
0: so once you rolled out of those 12 weeks mm. what is your part i mean because you mentioned the the asian it guy was a initial thought yeah where did your where did your sort of career in the army go from what is this
1: yeah well uh, well uh, yeah, i hit up my section commander and, and you know that our trainer at the time i said oh this is what steven i want steven seagal steven seagal yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, said, I said steve mate you know well, how do i get that What well, that's not a knife type thing and how do i learn to throw that knife and he said mate what do you want to do? And I said, well, I want to be, I want to be like, you know, I'm a more of a physical type of guy. I want yeah. to be doing the stuff. I want to be shooting guns. I want to see the boom, and yeah. but I also want to learn some really cool stuff. And and you know, radios was always my thing, or well, electronics that yeah. I did with the making the amps through. So he said, mate, electronic warfare. I said, well, what's that? It's electronic and it's warfare. Well, yeah. how do you do this? Um, and he said, well, basically, you get to work with the guys. Um, you get to shoot guns. You mm-hmm. get to blow stuff up. You get to jump out of planes. And, um, and you get to play with some really sneaky, peaky stuff. And yeah. I said, what's, what's this sneaky, peaky stuff? <laughs> and he said, well, guess what, mate? You get to have a top secret clearance. And I'm like, what's that? And he goes, it's like James Bond. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, well, I sign me up on the dotted line. And I didn't even know what the job was. I said, just sign me up. I'll, I'll, I'm changing to that job. So basically what electronic warfare yeah. was, was to, um, to be a glorified eavesdropper if I could sort of paint that picture. So we would intercept enemy communications, see what they were saying, and then sort of triangulate them to see where the location was and report it to our upper management to, yeah. to, to then make decisions on manoeuvring the chess pieces on the board.
0: And how, and how long did that training go for? Uh,
1: that was, that was a, a 18 months.
0: Okay, wow. Well, yeah, so yeah. that
1: was one of the longer training sessions there yeah. because you needed to get your clearance mm-hmm. and then you needed to learn highly specialised stuff. And that's just to become the basic, you know, EW soldier. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, and did you jump out of planes?
1: Yes. Nice. Yeah. So I graduated from that, and then we we jumped out of the planes. They said, "Okay, well, we're we're doing this new capability. Yeah. Um, we're going to send you guys down to the guys in Sydney that are jumping out of planes." And this is before special forces. Okay. You know, three um, RRR was the name of the mm-hmm. the company, and so that was it. We were we were doing our specialist parachute course down in Nowra um, on on the New South Wales Southern Coast. Yep. Beautiful spot into this bay, but it was always. Um, yeah, it was a great, nice. great jumping out of a yeah. perfectly good aircraft. You know, <laughs> some people hated it, but I loved it. It yeah. was awesome. Yeah.
0: So, so did you pursue that? I mean, I know you joined the special forces, but did you pursue that that career for a while, or did you? How, how, what happened to your career after that?
1: Uh, in what, getting into the special forces. Yeah. Well,
0: I mean, did you? Did you? Sort of do this electronic warfare yeah. um, for a while, and then decide well I want to do something else. Or
1: yeah, well, I had the best of both worlds. So how I got into into the special forces yeah. is that um, the year uh, two thousand and six was the Commonwealth Games, yep. and that was the first year that the, the unit that I was with it was ended up it was four RAR but it ended up being two Commando was given the role. that, you know they had their bigger brothers of SAS in Perth, mm-hmm. and they were finally given their role to to do the Commonwealth Games domestic counterterrorism. Mm-hmm. So they posted us guys in down there to start up this new capability and our job within this sport. Yep. It was really exciting. Yep. And so we were down there and, again, uh, we were doing what they call a full mission profile where they're rehearsing what a scenario what might happen. And one night I remember clearly, Clint, the helicopters were coming down and then they were flaring up and then all of a sudden the ropes would come down. Blokes in black were sliding there. This is by night, and then all of a sudden, boom, 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 bish, bash, do, 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 do. and I'm like, oh my god, how do I get a bit of that action? So again, I said to my boss, how do I get that action? Yeah. And he's like, mate, you sign here. So that night, you know, I think it was three o'clock and three thirty by the time yeah. we got home. I went onto the to the computer and then signed up and yeah. and then sort of got onto the you know get accepted for to to take the test to yeah. see if we could go through. Um, and and that process
0: must be pretty rigorous. It's right? quite
1: it's quite rigorous. Yeah. Uh. You know. Sort of. They. You have to do a, what they call a barrier test, which is the basic fitness test mm. to even be considered to go on the course.
0: And do you by memory know what those were?
1: Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So <laughs> so, the, so the 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 um the, the the entry test, the special forces entry yeah. test, started off with a um. It was it was it was a, a push ups. It was at the time it was a minimum of sixty push ups within two minutes. Yeah. Oh, 60 or seventy push-ups within yeah. two minutes. You had to do, um, you know, your hundred sit-ups to a cadence. So it's up, down, up, down. Yeah. And uh, with, within, a, like it was a certain type of sit-up. Then you had to do your heaves or your pull-ups. You had to do a minimum of twelve of those, just yeah. so that you could do your parachuting type stuff. And then we went into the water. So oh, sorry, oh, so running? No, no running. Just, no, there was yeah. a running. Uh, yeah. There was a running component. So we had what they called the webbing. So what you're wearing in your as an arm Yeah. So your seven kilos with your with a with a, wep- uh, a weapon. And, um, you'd run 2.4 and then, and then on the, on the actual days, 3.2 kilometers with your seven kilos and your webbing. So you're around about 12 kilos yeah. in, you know, in, I think it was like in 12 minutes or something okay. like that or, or, or 10, uh, 11 or something, whatever the time was, it was a very hard time yeah, to your, for, for a short dude with short legs, <laughs> you know, I had to pretty much be like the road runner. <laughs> then you have to do your swimming yeah. in fully clothes. And then, and then some orienteering, some other other things like that. And the, the the culmination of all that, besides your medical, and this is just the entry test, yeah. was to do a, a twenty kilometer pack march with your, with that webbing, your rifle, and then another twenty one kilos in the backpack. Yeah. So that you, you're hoofing it. You're pretty much going, you know, eight k's an hour, trying wow. to walk and shuffle at the yeah. same time for that distance.
0: And did they do any sort of psychological screening at that stage mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. was that all through because you've been in the military referral? Through
1: no, it, 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 it's all part of it. So, so they it. still do psychological screening to yeah. see if then you're suitable for that organisation because, yeah. you know, besides just being if you were like – Looking at, at like a grunt, they say you need to be able to do this. You need to have a certain level of autonomy as mm-hmm. well and decision making processes besides just saying yes sir, no sir. You know that's why they're looking for that sol- that type of soldier in the traits to be a little bit a little bit, yeah, yeah. Yeah. a little bit higher. And and at
0: that time, were you were you married or I mean, were no you no were it, you was it was
1: just Yeah, it was still single. Yeah, you know um, the Tinder whatever swiping. It was just <laughs> was yeah. there Tinder in those days? Oh no, there wasn't. Man. <laughs> Not even that It was the old school. You got to go down to the club and oh, wow. the pub and, and, and then woo the girls you know spend a shitload of money for, for not knowing whether you're going to get a good return on investment no no <laughs> that's the, that's the that's the businessman in me now but no look i think that was that was one yeah. of the things it was um, for me the military life great for a single person yeah. great for someone who's also in a relationship but for me that was the ultimate adventure yeah i was i had the you know not a normal guy in, in one of the best jobs it still is one of the best and most rewarding jobs that I ever got to do yeah and i always look back on it my military career is as 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 a really fond career yep. you know ended in, in not the best way but you know i would that was the best job and so when i got qualified um back to that other question mm. that you had was that i had the best of both worlds because i was qualified as a commando after all that rigorous testing yep. i can jump in on the teams but what i wanted to do and, and this is part of my personality. You stay the same in, in the same trade. Yeah. So we had dual trade. So I, I could wear two hats depending on what the job was. Now the, the beautiful thing about that, Clint, is you know I uh, I was the first in my um, trade to, to become commander qualified yeah so what and when i want to say
0: commander is that because you've gone through special forces the
1: training and okay. the selection and the yeah. whole cycle yeah so when you earn that cap it's it's really coveted mm-hmm. so i was the first in my trade you know after we got posted down to, to earn that yeah and what i wanted to do was uh, inspire some of the other people within my trade to, to come in and get qualified because one one of the things is then when you're qualified you, you get acceptance from the crew From the boys, from the shooters, instead of being someone that's detached and you're a liability, you have to earn the trust, yeah. I know if you've got one of those caps on on, on the whole that you have a certain amount of traits. Yeah. You've got the the mental and physical fortitude to do what needs to be done. Yeah. And you've earned the right. Yep. So that was for me really important to help inspire our guys do that, which which was one of the criteria then for, for the guys posting in.
0: And what what age were you now? Just trying to get a
1: Uh I was I was mid mid twenties by that 20s, stage uh, by the stage I got into the special forces. And the reason why is those guys look for you, know, you could you could be physically fit. 18 or 19, 20 even, Mm. but you're not mentally or mature enough to be able to to do some of the things that they do. So they'll say, come back in a few years. Now, if you're a 21-year-old guy that gets knocked back because of that, that wouldn't feel good. Ego, ego, ego. It's ego, but, you know, so they do look for that more, you know, 25 to 35 was the average age Mm. group of guys within sort of that work soldiers and as
0: a as a civilian as i think we refer to yeah um the the stuff we see on tv right for yeah. the for the seal training and all yeah. that stuff is it i mean my assumption it is as hectic as that um and and for you mentally coming out of that mm. knowing that you've probably went to places that you never thought possible oh yeah you must feel like i wouldn't say bulletproof is the right word but Pretty, pretty damn good about yourself. Oh,
1: it is a, it is a, is it a remarkable, like I get goosebumps now. It's a remarkable sense of achievement, a Mm. personal achievement. And then also to be able to do that with a group, Mm. because when you, when you start, you know, there was a hundred and, I think there was 120 that started out and there was guys that were six foot six built like brick shit houses, big guys. I'm like, you know, Arnie style. And here's me the five-foot-six guy, wiry dude. Mm. I'm like, how am I going to compete with these fellas? And, um, you know, over the time it was instead of thinking I've got, you know, two and a half weeks of this or three weeks of this selection now, how am I going to get to the end? I just did it in in, in chunks, Mm. one day at a time, one hour or one activity at a time, and that was it. All these small little bits and pieces, Clint, adding to the big sum. Yeah. And we'll get to that when talking about the PS- PTSD, yeah. you know, that was a really good sort of mindset to have surrounding that. Yep. And, yeah, so the, the achievement was just, it felt absolutely amazing.
0: And in your class, how many people actually came through it?
1: Uh, 30 completed the course. Yeah. And then further on, uh, they only ch- selected, uh, they selected 22 or, okay. a platoon, you know, 25. Yeah. So a couple of guys dropped off for further training. So you could complete the course, but you might not fully display the traits yet. Like I'm saying with the example, again, with the 21 year old guy, yeah. you're awesome, mate. Yeah. Go and get a little bit more life training yeah. and then come back to us in two years time when you're a bit more mature. And, and, you know, so some of those guys would drop off at that sort of stage or be, okay, you physically met the thing, but you didn't mentally meet our requirements. So,
0: had you achieved all of this before the Commonwealth Games? So, you got to... You, or was that afterwards? That was afterwards. Okay. So,
1: basically, the Commonwealth Games happened. I applied. We did the um, with the training. Mm-hmm. And then pretty much as soon as we finished all that training, it was game on. Yeah. It was like... It was all that training and then it was Afghanistan.
0: Wow. You know? Um, so, so, when is the first time you went over there?
1: Yeah. Uh, 2007.
0: Okay. And how many tours did you do? I did two. Did two. Yeah. And... and I mean, once again, my you know civilian assumption, yeah. right? The 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 harsh reality of landing there, and it's like the shit is real. Yeah, this shit um, is real. Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, did did that take you back, or, or are you so conditioned at that time to just to just do, you know, that's your job?
1: Yeah, absolutely, and, and great. So, uh, yeah, yes. Yeah. So that that's that is your job. But just to sort of flow on from your original question, there was to um, you know, sort of. With with these other people, when you see the stuff on TV, mm. is it as hard as that? Yes, it is as hard, but probably even more difficult because they have to change the the way that they they speak to people, and that you know you might have some media celebrities, and that and you can't be, yeah. Yeah. and you know to just be swear words the whole time and, <laughs> and doing this. But all, but the thing, but having said that, there the elements that they do to, to test them. Are very similar. Mm. You know what I mean. They just change the, the severity of ha- how much they're grading, yeah. just so that people get that taste. So if you think about that, and then sort of add a few steroids to it a little bit more, then it just adds that little bit more. But the, the, the principles principle the same. Now coming to the to your latest question mm. is that you do so much training, and, and it, it must feel the same. You, you know, you you, taught, you mentioned that you were uh, you, know, you, uh, you know rugby was your thing yeah. for your sport. Yeah. Um, when you get that grand final and get the Guernsey on. It's that feeling of oh my god I'm here I've, you know it, it's that self validation you know I've done the training that felt great um, I've I've finished all of that now it's we've, we've done the lead up we've done the season now let's let's play our A games game time it's game time, yeah. it's game time. Yeah. and um, that was the the feeling that I got there but when I landed we were uh, there was a couple of years in between like twenty four months between the, the the previous rotation to when we went mm. so we were at the real. Pivotal stage of, of that unit at the time, and uh, we went there early. Um, a, a small select of us went early to set everything up before mm-hmm. everything came. And um, when I landed, I clearly remember landing on the tarmac there, and it was I could see the pimmel, the, the cat the snow cap. Bloody mountains, it was beautiful, absolutely beautiful country, if they could only get their shit together, to be honest mm-hmm. with you, and um, you know, yeah, I came in, landed on the, the runway and it, the, they opened up, the, the ramp opened up and all I, well, I could do is this, this humid heat it was like nearly, it was nearly 50 degrees in the wow. in the shade, you know like it smacked me on the head, but maybe I don't know if it was humid or if it was the heat or a combination but we were already at 4,000 feet, so you know yeah. hot, humid, not much oxygen, headaches and that was it, but because it was so quiet and we landed in the middle of the day, it was a false sense of security because it seemed really quiet. And then later on during our tours, you know, first and second tours, yeah. I would actually grow to be, you know, seeking that comfort or that false sense of security because we were so busy. Yeah. That was probably the quietest that we would was day one. And then from there, the, the ball, you know, that you were running. You were running onto the ball. Someone was passing it to you. Boom at yeah. the full distance and, and we were on. Yeah.
0: And, and how long are your are the tours?
1: Uh, for, for us, guys, yeah, the first one, yeah. yeah so it was oh, for me because we went a little bit earlier, mm-hmm. it was like a six, six-and-a-half-month tour, but I was nearly out there for eight months because we were there for a few weeks yeah. either side of the main body. And so, um, you know, let's say let's call about the eight-month mark and without break in between.
0: And, and looking at mental health, which is obviously, you know, hindsight, <laughs> the joys of hindsight, mm-hmm. is, is it – is it tough to stay off to your own mental health, or are you just so busy that you're just in the zone and and you just you don't have time to think?
1: Yeah, I think I think great question, Clint. Um, I think that uh, for, for the whole you operate what we call operationally focused, yeah. or just in the zone, focusing on what what the job was, mm. and um, you know whether it's a sports thing, you know you, you, you're focused. You see athletes when they're just there, and you can see that they've got that mm. job or, or mission. In mind, that's what it was. And in regards to the mental health, it was what the hell is that? You know, if I, and I admit, you know, as well back then, I'm like, okay, mental health, it's not really too much. You know, if I can't see it, you know, um, you know, support. chicks don't see cardio. Well, you're like, well, man, you know, uh, uh, if you're in the fitness game, yeah. uh, uh, but you know, at the end of the day, um, I didn't think about it. Was more, let's just focus, and anything that does happen that might be traumatic, let's yeah. just put it. Yeah. There's an incident that goes to the side. Let's just put that there. Let's park it
0: under the carpet, under the
1: under carpet, the carpet yeah. as far as we can right into mm-hmm. the corner and then, and then forget about it.
0: And when you, when you came home, mm. um, what was that decompressed like?
1: They had, they had a, they had a coming home sort of procedure. Yeah. Let's say, uh, but the procedure is more of like a tick, tick and flick, you mm-hmm. know, um, when you're there, Hey, did something happen bad to you? Well, you know, did you witness trauma? Yes. yes. <laughs> did it affect you? Oh, you know, look, no, put it <laughs> behind you. I don't want to say that anything because i do the next jobs. You know, I, I, want, I, want that, I want another Guernsey. So I'm not going to let my niggling knee or, you know, or you know, if, um, I use the sports thing, you know, yeah. as a, you know because that's kind of like what you could sort of relate to. I don't want to let anyone know that something's wrong if, or there's a niggle. So there was a procedure, but, it, you know, then it was documented. And yeah. then when we got home, same, same again, at that point in time, Clint, um, the army was really busy, and it was like a big busy period. So mm-hmm. the, the 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 wheel was going, and you know, sort of anything there if it popped off the side, then we find it hard to be able to to, to get back onto the bandwagon. Yeah. So um, and we were so busy. No one really thought about the mental health, especially on my first trip, you know, you'd come back. Um, we actually went straight to work. We didn't do any holidays because we were wow. so busy yeah. for me. And then, and then we had some holidays afterwards. So I'm like, okay, it's so just back into the, the swing of things.
2: Mm.
1: And then um, my, on my first, first trip, you know, holidays were cut short. I went overseas, but uh, you know, I actually went and did a bit of a European tour to catch mm. up with some friends. Uh, part of it by myself, and that, um, and then part of it catching up. But it just wasn't enough time to yeah. really decompress.
0: Yeah, and and how long was the gap between between your first and your second tour? Two thousand
1: and seven was the first one, mm. and then two thousand and nine was the was the second tour. Yeah. And and that's from not getting ahead of software when you started struggling and realizing there
0: were issues. Was that on that second tour? Uh,
1: more, a lot, of, a lot of the more um, traumatic incidences that happened, yeah. um, happened on that particular tour. Mm. Um, I think it was just because as well, the enemy, we'd been there for a couple of years and the, the enemy, um, had sort of sussed out some of our tactics and procedures. Yeah. And, 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 you know, there was a lot of incidences happening around guys, um, IEDs, mm. you know, those bo- the yeah. roadside bombs or remotely detonated bombs that would go off. Yep. And, you know, after a while, in certain places because it's very mountainous. If you're on vehicle, you're driving in and driving out in the same spot. Guess what?
2: Yeah. And that no could be where you're going to be. Yeah, gonna
1: yeah, be yeah. Or at one point you can be there
2: yeah.
1: and, um, and they could remotely detonate it. Yeah. So um, the second trip is where a, a few of these traumatic incidents has happened. Yeah. Um, there was, I call it the trifecta amongst many, but um, on our first mission, say so it was eight, eight months, the, our first mission was actually one month long. Mm. You know, outside the wire, continuously. So not going back into the comfort zone of what we talked about before. This yeah. was outside, and we were going into a um, an out of area zone as well. Um, you know, so there was yeah, it That's was a lot of time. To it, go was, it was it was out of fur- it was basically it was further further than where we would usually go, mm. um, which was like a like known as the, the badlands. You know, it was mm. in between borders, and, and there was like the badlands where it was like a safe haven for for the um, the Taliban and yeah. the, the enemy. So the first couple of days, um, you know, uh, I, we were, we're travelling this month-long tour. Yeah. Um, Sergeant Brett Till lost his life and he was an engineer who was, had the metal detectors and, and the, uh, the dogs. He was the, the lead guy. Yeah. And um, he was dismantling or making safe an IED. But, you know, these guys are the enemies quite widely and, and there was the second and the third. Hanging yeah. off that as well, yeah. so unfortunately, um, those um, devices went off, and and he 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 passed away. Yeah. You know, lest we forget, Sergeant Brett Till. Um, yeah, so that was a big knock to everyone mm. right at the start of the tour. Yeah. within a couple of days, you know, that's that's like having a big. And he was one of the most experienced in his field for, yeah. for that. So, and, and he was actually one of the one of the upper management for all the guys mm. underneath him so for them to lose and for us to lose yeah. someone like that was a big hit
0: so us. so assuming that obviously kills morale right but, mm. but how once again looking back so, so much easier right yeah. but but what what did the what did the leadership at that time do to sort of motivate and keep the troops going like how, how do you how do you deal with such an is? an incident yeah
1: yeah i think it was yeah we we mourned for a little bit but then then you know the the whole the whole idea was you know we were on a mission yeah we were on a big mission and we needed to to go and perform that mission so as 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 blowing to morale and you know as it was and shocking to have lost someone so earlier on the piece you got to think about the bigger picture so they we we sorted out brett's evacuation And then, you know, his repatriation back home to, to Australia. But we didn't even get to see any of that because we were, you yeah. know, at the start of a month. Mm. So then we were gone. The road show went on. And then a couple of days later, put, put that aside, mm. um, a few days later, we were um, on top of a feature. And, and uh, what do you mean by uh, so on top of a, a hill, okay. right? Or, or sort of civilian talks. Yeah, so <laughs> we were on top of on top of a hill, and I'll paint a picture. So we we're on sort of moving towards the top of a hill, having a little bit of a break, and but the zone, the area looked like it would have been, you know, in hindsight, mm-hmm. a, a good place for an ambush. Anyway, we had a little break, and then we went on, and I was on in in like this vehicle called a Bushmaster, it's like a little, like a van, like very uh, heavily armoured van with a, with this V-hole and I was on the back gun and I clearly remember it because we just finished the uh, the little smoko brakes and check where we we're going to go and then we were off again and then boom, um, that's the, the sort of, that sort of sound mm. and then everything was black and then I was like what the hell's going on here? Mm. What the hell, you know, ringing in my ears, felt like my life had you know, in that sort of second as I sort of came to what the hell just happened, all I could smell was I could just smell it now, you know, that cordite, you know, explosive mm-hmm. smell, black dust, everything in my mouth and in the eyes. I couldn't really see shit. But what I, what I did feel was my hands and I sort of, you know, blinked my eyes, okay, well, that's fine, and wriggled my toes. And I'm like, okay, I'm intact. Yeah. I'm alive. And then so boom, you know, that's that sort of flashing of my whole life there and then basically a training kicks in like you were saying mm. that we talked about earlier. Boom, go and help the guys, evacuate them, get the equipment out. And then that was, that was a, a thing, you know, we, we were coming on to night time, boom, and your, we, we were under vehicle, fire. Did
0: your vehicle get hit?
1: Or y- yeah, we, we ran over a roadside bomb. Okay. We ran – well, yeah, the, this bomb was like a 20-kilo big – like so just say like a big sack of concrete like mm. that, so two of those – Oh, the twenty kilo bag big big concrete bag, but that was explosive, so basically we ran over it, it blew the front wheel off this vehicle, and they're very harm- heavily armored mm-hmm. The other one was nearly off, and it blew the engine off its out of its block basically and um and then so whoever was inside was like a like a like a you know sort of yeah hit. Jolted traumatic brain yeah, yeah, jolted, hit ra- like a rag doll and, you know, sort of uh, – so those guys had traumatic brain injuries, you know, resulted in that. And and I how was, many
0: people were in that
1: yeah Oh, there was, there was a few. There was maybe half a dozen okay. of us all, and, yeah. you know, including myself. And then sort of – for me, I was lucky in the way that um, I was uh, in a manhole, so I was holding on. So my – I didn't – fortunately, I didn't hit my head like mm. those guys, but I would have been catapulted out like a – um like a, a you know a, a human cannonball, mm. and so uh, yeah, and then you know sort of I yeah. had some other physical injuries from that, but you know obviously the mental injuries manifested down the track.
0: And then and then how did you get out of that scenario? I mean, it was just just <laughs> and we,
1: were under, we were under fire yeah. as well doing our job. So basically, this traumatic incident happened, and then I had to still do my, like we got out and have the casualties. Mm. Tended to and then, um, and then still do the job again. Boom, we're under fire. I've got to do my job. I need to intercept community communication, see what's going on, fire back at the enemy.
2: Yeah,
1: so it was stay straight yeah. again. Yeah, and then so the severity after that particular firefight it was kind of like midnight. It was pissing down with the rain, it was got muddy, you know, and it was okay. Well, let's sort that out. But we had we had a bigger mission to do, so basically, it was just self-preservation for the rest of that night get a new vehicle in get the other one you know put all of our stuff in the new vehicle in and off we went you serious serious man and so they blew up that other vehicle you know it was the best it was a, really looked cool but yeah. you, you know um you know the the plane coming over dropping a few bombs and you see the bombs dropping out <laughs> and so they, they blew that vehicle up in situ or yeah. in the spot yeah. and then we were off again so, and then, you know, so that was put that back in the back drawer there.
0: Wow. That back drawer's getting full, mate. The back drawer's getting full. <laughs>
1: and then the, the, tri- the trifecta again. So, we finally got to this really heavily armed or Badlands location yeah. and there was some serious fighting that we had as well. And, um, I, I, you know, a couple of days later and this guy, his name's Damien Tomlinson, he's like, you know, um, done quite a lot of public speaking now from his injuries, mm. but they ran over. Another IED, but they were in just a like an open top four wheel drive, like a Land Rover. You yeah. see them around now. Boom, and and then he lost he, he lost his legs. Yeah, you know another traumatic incident that sort of happened. Um, yeah, it was yeah to to sort of see that succession and yeah. stuff, and and for me. Um, I don't share this as often, but within my job, I had a fair bit of guilt after a bit because one of my other tasks was because we could we could triangulate potential locations, mm. one of my things was to be able to go, okay, what are potential spots that these bombs yeah. would be, yeah. reading the map, seeing where it would be. So it's almost like looking into a um, a crystal ball, but not in hindsight. You know, go, okay, well, ha- ha- what happened? These were the where the bombs were. I'm like, oh, shit, that's where...
2: Was that coming oh, they, back to your, uh, your electronic yeah, yeah,
1: warfare uh, training? Yeah, the electronic warfare mm. training. I'm like, okay, these are the potential spots. And then in the, in the post-game wrap-up, I'd like, oh, no, fuck. These are the spots. Yeah. And so I felt that a lot of guilt for a long time. I, I couldn't control it, but I felt this guilt that uh, it, it, what could I have done better well, what could i've done you know it was my fault yeah um it's somewhat because yeah. Yeah, but the thing was it wasn't my fault it's like okay these are potential locations i can, you know it's like a crystal board. It's, it's there yeah. but you know it, it happens it's yeah. war but for a long time afterwards that was one of the things that um that i felt yeah, really yeah, guilty yeah,
0: yeah and and once you finish your month you know expedition in the wild uh, yeah and those three huge incidents At what stage did you fall apart or start to fall apart or realize, you know, was it when you got back into camp and decompressed or or when things start going?
1: Uh, No, 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 more, more, more so when I got home, yeah, post deployment, post deployment.
0: So you, so you, then you saw another five, six months after that month.
1: Yeah, we we did the whole, we did the whole deployment and that was that, you know, that was a, you know, a, um, a precedent Mm. for the rest of the deployment. We were busy. Oh, there was a lot of stuff. There was yeah. a lot of other traumatic incidences. But, you know, that trifecta will always be forefront of my mind because it happened so quickly into our tour. Yeah. And so – Set the tone almost It Set the tone for the whole thing. And, and it wasn't when I got home, you know, it, you know, meeting up with, with uh, my now wife, you know, she had these – she had these grand things for our repatriation to get back together you know um i'd taken all these sleeping tablets at, at night mm-hmm. uh to, to 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 go home and she was all dressed up looked absolutely amazing you know had some friends to be able to. and so when when we were at the airport and we got to go home all right let's dump the bags let's go out we've got a nice dinner and it was this place called the white lion it was in in the inner west you know, um, I had a couple of drinks and, and had the feed and, and basically I, I, I passed out, yeah. you know, because I was just so drained from, and, and so she was like, you know, romantic, you know, Barry White music, flower petals, you know, I bought new lingerie and I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I couldn't give that to you, baby, yeah. you know, because I'd pretty much like the booze went straight to my head, yeah. a whole, you know, bunch of sleeping tablets that I'd had and groggy, you know, it was just a combination of stuff. And, and to put it, put it you know bluntly I suppose Clint is that my body finally said I'm home Mm. and you know when sort of you're looking towards a holiday and you've been working your ass off and then finally you get to go on holiday and your body goes oh I'm on holiday now you get either really tired or you get sick because you've just been working so hard Mm. towards it before you could actually relax that's kind of what it was like so that was setting, setting the tone for more of the stuff there afterwards you know we were so busy that I didn't get to get leave so, it was just wanting to, to party you going, you know, work hard, play hard. So, I started drinking a lot more booze yeah. at the times that we did get to be able to do it. Um, same, same again. Some of the things there, probably I was getting my hands on some prescription meds to try and sleep and do these. And I was doing all these things to be able to avoid things starting to simmer up again, um, which were starting to simmer up because it was a quieter tempo. Mm-hmm. You know, it was what they call, you know, it, avoidance, you know, or filling something else in just my with my time mm-hmm. to be able to avoid it the crash the crash yeah exactly mm-hmm. so um i think these things started happening and so i was i was like okay i was still in the military at that time and i went okay i don't want to co- commit career suicide mm-hmm. by saying something is wrong or yeah. i need to do this so what th- did i need to do um this was the first instance i'm like okay i'm starting to do this so i actually self-referred myself to um some specialists yep to find out, you know, a psychiatrist and, 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 you know, like a, a counselor and then some, a course on, on, you know, alcoholism mm-hmm. and, you know, so not AA, but, you know, alcoholic type course or, you know, which is alcohol and drugs type course, just to be able to go, well, look, you know, but you're
0: checking the boxes, they're checking
1: the boxes no. you know, I'm taking too much of this. And, and so, um, I wouldn't got that help sorted out, but, um, and, and I did sort it out. Uh, but it was you know my particular job had these clearance, the top secret clearance which needed to be um, which needed to be reviewed yeah. every year. and yeah. this is kind of where you know I suppose sometimes the honesty isn't the best policy for those things because um I just said to to my reviewing officer at the time it came in and and we were quite busy, and I was looking forward to doing this yeah. other trip, right so another trip for, to increase our capability, and I was meant to go and, and you know i got this review. And I said to him, look, something's happened here. This is what I had. had some issues sort of mentally and, and sort of uh, and I'd been sort of drinking a bit too much and maybe taking a couple of sleeping tablets, when I, you know, sort of to, to try and get to sleep um, type thing. And um, it's sorted out now. Hmm. And he sort of wrote some notes in there. And and I didn't hear thing, anything of it and I was flying high with my job, right, flying high, you know, it was the, the best thing that we were doing, really exciting stuff going on. And then I was meant to be – traveling to do some work for some other stuff and then I got a call to the boss's office saying oh Andy you've lost your clearance and I said why and they said well did this happen I said oh okay that was meant to be in confidence yeah but it hasn't been and um due to that sort of the policy that they had in place at the time and and then also moving that wheel like we spoke about Mm. popped off I popped I fell off the that big wheel and it's easier for them to be able to go And, and look you know I was dark about it for for so long and bitter Mm. but you know because i felt like people had turned their back on me with the support so basically i went from like feeling like a hero to zero just because i'd lost my clearance and all of a sudden my whole job was gone my purpose was gone identity identity was gone i wanted to try and become a shooter and change over but because of the whole we were so busy and the paperwork involved in trying to do that or repurpose it's easy just to get rid of it, mm. and so that was the the big thing. And and and, um,
0: and was that the straw that broke camel's back? It for was you? What, it
1: was one of the straws that was a catalyst that really, really um, pushed forward the, the symptoms of my PTSD. Feeling yeah. like I'd lost all that, um, feeling like I went from hero to zero because what that, you know I was had an amazing job. And then all of a sudden they had me in the back of this, um, you know, the, the Q store uh, mm. issuing mobile phones to the boys. And so every single time they'd say, what's going on here, firms?
2: Yeah.
1: I'd have to tell my story or tell part of the story without without going into too much detail. And um, then they knew because they had to be operationally focused. And, uh, oh, let's, you know, okay. kind of here it is. Let's, let's just we skirt around end. the subject. So I felt like all my mates had to turn their back. But, you know, at the same time, they, I knew that they had a job to do. But it didn't make me feel I'm human. I've got feelings and emotions and it didn't make me feel so I got really bitter. Mm. And um, that made the the whole thing worse because, as you know, as if being in the sport, you know, having come from that sporting background is that, um, you know, sort of to have that feeling and, or go, hey, you can't play the sport anymore because of your injuries. Yeah. I've got I've got two or three more seasons to go.
0: That's why a lot of guys do it, right? Because they don't, as yeah. you said, come off that wheel and yeah. they just strap it up got, and go.
1: You know, sort of. I, I was I was I thought, okay, you know, I've got I've got my girlfriend now, wife. You know, I've got new priorities, but I could do two more trips. Mm-hmm. I could do at least another five years, and so I got ejected from the army yeah. before I finished. Got to be playing soldier.
0: You know what I mean? So mentally, yeah. So. So, once you came off that wheel
1: and got, you know, lost your clearance, how long did you last in the military after that or was it? Oh, I was just that there was an administrative process to get rid of me. Oh, was it? Okay. So, I, you know, finished my trip. Yeah. 2009 and then sort of and came back September and by the time I was out and all that because you had to be expedited, I was out by, you know, late April.
0: And this is in 2010 now?
1: 2010. Yeah. The next year. Yeah. So, to go from flying high to, to that sort of spot, I was a broken, I was a broken man. So,
0: so just a. To- a question, I guess, and I've yeah. got some couple of friends who are long-time ex-military as well. Yeah. Um, not special forces, but in, in different areas. And something that I know they struggled with when they became a civilian, yeah. they said the army is very, very good in making you feel indispensable. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure with special forces, that'll be that on steroids. Yeah. When they roll out, yeah. um, I think for them, they realized, you know, the army would be lost without them. Yeah. Yeah, they, they did a couple of tours, but then the army carries on. Yes, uh, very much, and yep. and as if they almost forgotten. No, they struggled with that. Was, was that the same emotion that you were going through?
1: A hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely, a hundred percent. So the day I, the day I got out of the army, um, uh, I, I went and I've been watching MasterChef. So I went out like I got out on the Wednesday and went and did the master, like you know, got an apprenticeship in a in a three hatted restaurant. Yeah, but then all the other things that I was doing was I'd get up, you know, get up at the crack of dawn, five o'clock, I'd go and do my PT and then I'd come back. And so I was still, even before that, you know, so I was still doing the things mm. sort of in hope that I might get back in, but it was that was never to be the case, you know, that that ship had sailed. Yeah. And so I, I, was, I was lost, you know. So I was still like, you know, am I still doing the same things and, and trying to find that identity at that high level, you know, mm. sort of. I was so used to being around, you know, being feeling like I was 10 foot tall around alpha males and and had, you know, indispensable, Mm. you know, uh, and or indisposable. Yeah. But then it felt like, you know, afterwards you have to fend for yourself. Mm. You know, what am I going to do? Um, Those questions, how am I going to provide for, you know, how am I going to provide for my now, my now wife, you know, like it was just us two at the time. But we were, you know, dinks with really good income. I'm like, oh, I wanted to go. But living Mm. in Sydney, it's bloody expensive. <laughs> yeah. So to, to know not know what you're going to do will go into something that's going to be bringing in the dollars straight away. That uncertainty, um, and then losing the identity. What is it that I want to do? I
0: don't really know. You know. So so there. I mean, I guess from from the outside looking in, you know, hindsight as always, mm. there, there must there's a hell of a lot going on. So you've yeah. got you've got the PTSD stuff, yeah. which is the the core. You've got. Yeah. Obviously, the lack of identity as also yep. the, the bitterness and, and yeah. disappointment, I guess, in mm. terms of the army. Let's just start with the first one, the PTSD, <laughs> yeah. you know, because there, there are a couple of things yeah. that you've obviously had to work through. Yep. Um, with a PTSD, when is the first time you actually heard about PTSD and when did you get diagnosed mm. and, how, and how did that all look?
1: Yeah, look, I'd heard about PTSD or the different names that it's known by, the shell shock or the, you know so mm. that type of thing from, from the other um, conflicts. So I knew about it. Mm. But it's one of those things, it will never happen to me. You know, it'll never happen to me or I, it's never happened to anyone that I know. Um, and, and that couldn't be any further from the truth because then, then these things started to manifest themselves.
2: Yeah.
1: And, and, you know, and, and it was an, a specific incident afterwards. So all that thing was coming to a boiling point, not knowing where I was, but it was a specific sort of trigger then that triggered me off um, when I just broke down. Yeah. You know, until that point. So it was a few months after I discharged from, from the military and there was one significant sort of incident. I was with my wife in a furniture shop um and it, in in the inner west and I heard on the news that um over the radio mm. that there was a helicopter incident and um, three three commandos had lost their lives. And then, and the numerous other blokes and guys, all of them I'd known or served with, had had mass casualties. And then there was at that point there where I just sort of heard the news and, and my sort of heart sort of sank. And 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 all of a sudden my world went from like I was I was getting this sort of tunnel vision and I had to get out of there. Like mm. I, was, I was anxious and so I went to the car and you know bored my eyes out you know, because it was just all sort of came crashing down that this thing had happened you know. I'm like, okay, I was just there a few months before and now that I've got this time, I don't know what I'm doing to think about, okay, I don't need to hold myself together. I'm like, oh, right, well, fuck, that could have been me. Yeah. So, you know, it was, um, uh, you know, um, Chucky, Tim Aplin and Scotty Palmer. you know, they'd lost their lives. Brilliant blokes, you know, I did my, my um, commando course with them. Mm. So, you know, and I'd served with them on a different tour and then all of a sudden they're, they're gone, you know, and some of, some of my other really close mates, some of the guys in my call sign, um, you know, in my particular trade as well, traumatic brain injuries in hospital for months and it was just, it was, it was gut-wrenching. And I think that that was the point there where I said to myself, I needed to go and seek some help.
0: Mm. And, that, and that's a, I mean, you know, awareness is a starting point. But yeah. for, for alpha males, mm. you know, cowboys don't cry, you don't ask for help. Yeah, Uh, you know, shrinks of people are weak. I mean, that's yeah, the conditioning I was brought up with my parents. Yes. yes. to ask for help. I mean, what, yeah. what was was that an internal thing, or was your missus also obviously she was concerned she about was, you She
1: was concerned about me, and, and like the girls would talk, you know, she was yeah. concerned about me. But I've always got to be grateful for for my for my mate, his name's Mick. Yeah. Um, Mick G, and, and he was going through a similar thing. He was one of the guys that had the traumatic brain injury, and he was sort of woken up to that point where you needed to go and seek some help. So he was really pushing for me to go and see someone or go and find some something, some seek some help, but I always put it aside. Ah mate, you know, you don't want talking about you know what do you know you weren't in this but he was we were in the same vehicle we we're doing the same stuff had some, did some amazing stuff together and he pushed for it and it wasn't until that point and a combination of things unfortunately you know i had to wait for it to, to get to that point silly me you know but i own that um and then hopefully now you know with some of the messaging there about asking for help is i should have asked for help earlier or even recognised it and acknowledged it, and so it was at that point with those two combinations of things, and then Claire also being being gone. I'm concerned about you, but I don't know what to do to help you out. That was a big one at that time. That I went and sought more help. So and, you know, and got got a good advocate. And was that in the in the talk of sort of just classic talk therapy at the time? Yes, so it was classic talk therapy. Mm-hmm. It was through a counsellor, so I didn't get the psychiatrist till later on. So again, I went to um, this organisation. It was called um, it's VVCS now. It's called Open Arms. Yeah. So I had a for me, I'm fortunate enough that I you know sort of I persisted with it, and he said, mate, you need to persist. You know, I didn't get along with the first two or three <laughs> counsellors, yeah. and then there was the fourth one when he pushed for it that I connected with with um with a counselor that that's when we started seeing some positive Mm. action and the second bit was also you know claire was like mate i'm i'm i've got i've got a great job we're doing here you're worried about this let's just sort about sort your head out Mm. we're getting married i'd propose to her she goes mate we're we're getting married if you if you're going to be like this you know i can't be with a man that's like this (laughs) Basically, and she's a strong woman, you yeah. know, a really strong woman. And, you know, and, and, and that's what I, one of the things that I love most about her, you know. She, she'll, she'll give it as much as she can. Yeah, she's not just one to roll over and yeah. go, okay. And so um, she, she pushed for it as well. So I actually went and started getting the help. And we, we talk about
0: breath work. I mean, we, mm. we, we met at, a, at yeah. a, you know, XVT yeah. shout out to Tom and Vic yeah. um, at one of their workshops with, with a classic, talk, I mean, for me, you know, healing, there's very aspects, yeah. right? So there's the talk therapy, there's yes. the fast up there's the breathing, there's the yeah. meditation, there's the diet, as yes. we spoke about. There's Absolutely. heaps of various factors. Just in terms of you putting yourself together, you know, the starting point was the talking stuff. Yeah. Any other elements that have helped you deal with, you know, if you do have a flashback or, you know, let's talk about diet, nutrition, breathing, wellness... Yeah. Just, just realistically, just talk yeah, about I'm what
1: a, yeah. what your, how you
0: healed yourself. What,
1: yeah, is, what is your ab- formula? Yeah, well, so my my, my road, my road to, to, to being able to, on, on the road to recovery mm-hmm. was to be able to change my mindset first and foremost mm-hmm. around some of those things. So ego was the one one thing. We all have it, you know, and, and, and it's just to put that aside and actually say, yes, I acknowledge I need to go and get some help. Mm-hmm. And then also saying, you know, it's not, uh, we're all human. We've got emotions, and to say that oh, I-, I'm, I can never be vulnerable, or I can never feel bad, or do this is silly. Mm-hmm. So I think that that was that first point is to change my mindset around going and asking for help and being vulnerable because vulnerable is only, you know, you're susceptible to bad things affecting you at that point in time, not to say that you're not going to be ever vulnerable again and then doing the work. So Mm -hmm. I went and did all that and from the holistic point of view, you know, at that sort of time when I was doing a lot of those, the, the talking, the exposure therapy and this, I was starting to get into some of the holistic modalities yeah. and the reason why is because I could see some of the guys being given these meds and they were turning into vegetables they were like it's so affected." I'm like mate it's not you and I'd seen it before you mm-hmm. know before I joined the arm I'd seen people be not themselves through excessive partying but from this other point of view then seeing these guys being on these meds as almost like a Numbing the pain, numbing the pain, mm-hmm. or or going well, I don't know what it might be for your condition. So let's just tweak it a little bit more, not knowing what there's going to be a tangible. So that really scared me because there were some guys as well, and it's a big thing now is suiciding. You know, getting to that point there where the life was so hard and painful that they were suiciding, and these are guys that I know. These are brilliant men mm-hmm. that you know. Uh, you know, I talk men and women, but you know the guys in my immediate circle were these strong men, you know, but, um, and so that scared me. So from that holistic point of view, um, I thought, well, I'm going to be open to this, mm-hmm. you know, from being in special forces of the guy, that mindset was always about trying different things to be able to better is how can I make a better, you know, version of me. And so I started exploring some of these other things, you know, as part of the therapy, like the breathing, active breathing, but it wasn't until later on in the piece that, like a really good friends of ours um, introduced us to, to the breathing, but yeah. I changed my things, you know, did the work, started changing some of the eating, um, changed my mindset, mm. did some personal development around some things, started surrounding myself with a new network of people that were in alignment with what I wanted to do, you know. So key, yeah. That was so key, yeah. Um, and, you know, and, and then I was luckily – Taught from that early moment on through my advocate who said put aside your ego and do the work mate right um it might not seem like that but the army doesn't give a fuck about you now sorry about the language you know it's an explicit podcast yeah yeah yeah, no (laughs) worries you know the army doesn't give a fuck about you now you're doing this it's just about having those resources like what we spoke about so you really need to look after yourself and he goes i can teach you andy oh i can help navigate you right but you just need to put that aside now do the work and and learn so i was really fortunate enough earlier in the piece to learn how to navigate my way through with some of the holistic modalities which became a very important thing eating keeping fit mindset and doing these things yeah now where i think um with the with with ptsd and, and, and mental health in general is it's like a physical injury but you just can't see it that's why my organization is called invisible injuries and um but like an injury clint they can be they can be You can recover. Um, You can do the work to recover. And how much you recover up to a certain point is how much work you're willing to put in. It's just like a physical thing with my shoulder, I'm going to get it done, my knee, you know, um, from a sporting perspective, that's how you put it on. Um, But the thing is, once you recover, you're always going to be susceptible to recurrence, like in any injury. So if you stop doing some of the things that you have, and in this case mental health, Mm. um, is – the self-care plan you could easily fall off the rails pretty bloody quickly and that's happened to me several times or a number of times in the 10 years that i have been separated from the military
2: yeah
1: you know and and for certain certain reasons a trigger will happen or whatever life throws in your way if you start putting that aside that's where where it is but it's, it's always been core has been that holistic modality not saying that you know i do take some prescription meds now from from um, from seeing my site, but that's on an as-needed requirement because I I, yeah. I, I would ch- rather choose to do the preventative um, measures in changing the stuff that I can change, and then have this as a tool to use um, when it's needed. Yeah, and then for me personally, that works best.
2: Yeah,
1: you know because then it's about more about the lifestyle and your relationships and your support systems and what you do, because the the.
0: You know the like i've got a super holistic approach as well and it's just it it it, it just becomes who you are right and you, yeah you, know, you have to and if you don't you know if, if you let one of the, like a my, my perspective, if you let one of those slip then things are going to start slipping like i've got a program called decentralate the eight yes. key things in the framework yeah. if you if you let you know if you're doing five of the eight every single day yeah. then you then you start to slide you know which is which is intriguing and i and i think also and i, and I know i'm assuming but I, I say i know but to have that that mental focus on always trying to evolve, always trying to prove yourself, always trying to be better. Yeah. It's such a better way to live than rather than, you know, focusing on the stuff that happened to you. That's right. But if you're constantly evolving as human and being inquisitive and taking in new information and,
1: Absolutely, and I think it's 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 one of those things that I really like. That's a real key message that you just said, then, um, Clint. Um, and, and I totally, yeah, you're right. Assuming that one there was you were right is 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 going. You know, if I can, if if I'm not living in the past and going, you know, that's what defined me you know, being the soldier is what defined mm. me. Um, is going, well, no, it, that was one part now. And it took me a long time to be able to, and it'll take, a, It's some type for pe- some people it might take years to be able to go, yeah. you know, um, but it, it will happen if you work towards it. But it's like this, it was one point in my life that defined me then. I lost my purpose, but now this is what defines me as a person now. But I haven't lost any of those core things that I find valuable or see what's value. Yeah. value. I just needed to be able to find a way that was, to repurpose it in a way that then I could be have those thoughts you yeah. know how can I better myself um for me it's important um say for example uh immediate support like that of my wife and 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 the kids now mm. you know um, earlier on in the piece um you know we got Claire in and we have a, an arrangement now where if I'm being PTSD it's you know i think instead of going her going oh can you go and get some help and do this um and i would say oh you weren't there you weren't in the <laughs> wards. you didn't know you shouldn't have to know and take that burden on for me you know typical yeah. bloke stuff you know i'm not saying that women like you know when i say guys guys and girls pc type world but at the end of the day um that was one of the things uh that was important was to be inclusive mm-hmm. and then from there we can actually go, go well, where's where how can i be a, a better man so for me, my thought was I'm going to bring her in and, and get her involved because a problem shared is a problem halved mm. um, and she's one of the most important, um, you know, people in, in, in my life yeah. and so if we can do this together, yes, there's going to be some mistakes. At least then I'm not doing it alone and, and, and isolating myself. And how can I be a good husband or, you know, or a good dad or good something if I don't work on myself? Yeah. And that's the whole thing about the holistic improvements that I think, you know, taking small bits at a time, I go, well, look, say, for example, your, your eight methods, mm. it's like, well, if I tried something from each bit and was consistent with each of those, then it's I'm going to get, it's, yeah. it's, and, and how mm. can I improve myself? I'm not going to get to Rome in that one day or I'm not going to get to that end stage like with the with the selection course, you know, three weeks of being beasted. I'm just going to take a small step at a time, mm. you know, it's 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 three weeks long. I've got this many days if I'm going to follow the eight steps in the mm. wheel. Then I'm going to do this, or if I'm going to do my, um, you know, the the um, with the food, I'm going to make small changes, and then I'm going to get yeah. there. So that's the whole holistic approach that I, um, you know, uh, that's what I believe in, and that's yeah. what I live and breathe. And you know, I'm not perfect, but it's it's just it's about trying to be consistent mm. with it. You know, the eighty twenty rule.
0: Yeah, amen. I mean,
1: you know, yeah. we were talking about that earlier yeah. on, right. and and that's a big thing. Yeah. when you're Too- human. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> So, so let's pivot across to Invisible Injuries, yep. um, which is your charity focused on soldiers and PTSD. Right? Yeah, right.
1: yeah, and first responders and as well.
0: First responders, Okay, yeah. wow, that's awesome yeah. as well. Um, how did that How did that idea come about? I love the name, by the way. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's but just just the story behind behind the, you know starting a charity.
1: Yeah, the story that the charity was that, you know, when we moved up here, um, things sort of happened for a reason Mm -hmm. and, um, I was in the property game, property investment and it was, is going, going really well. But when we moved up here, you know, sort of, I didn't have that support that I had set up, um. So it took me a long time it took me like 18 months and yep. and then we were trying to secure our home and you know try and rework our business so there was all these different factors that came in and at the end of 2018 um, we, we we tried to see, secure a home uh, and and through all these other things that had happened it seemed that the universe wasn't you know we were pushing for something to make something happen but the universe was just saying it, you a it, they, <laughs> that's not what's that's not in the master plan mate and so it all came to a head um pretty much just like the day after my 40th birthday i'm like okay well that is that you know um and we lost everything clean you know so we lost this house that we were trying to secure had to change the jobs because the banks were saying you needed to get a pay g job so i was again purposeless you know i didn't have purpose and i was a broken man because i'd put my self-care aside you know financially we were like up shit creek and with you know i didn't even know if i could you know, put a roof over yeah. the family's head. And so basically we went camping and uh, we felt like, we felt like running away and, but I'm not a runner. So i had done a couple of, um spoken on a couple of, uh, you know, podcasts or done some public speaking and we were sitting there licking our wounds, um, camping mm. and we were camping and going, well, let's just hit the road. And I said, well, we can't hit the road. That just for me would feel like a, a total just running away. Yeah. And so, the idea came about Claire said well you know you're really good at your public speaking and doing these things um and you know how to navigate your way out of it so why don't we document that and then maybe we can go on tour and then and then be advocates and raise awareness around mental health PTSD and the conversation around Australia and then hopefully we can also reduce the amount of people suiciding um and, you know, and there's a lot of organizations that are doing great work out there. Why don't we connect them up? So that was the idea. So 2019 came about and so that's what we've been doing. So mm. basically I went, I'm going to break down my framework about what I do
2: yep.
1: and then hopefully I can share that, my story and those of my peers and then get people these other small achievable nuggets that they could take and then connect them with, with other organizations that are in alignment of what we're doing. Yep. And then create a big database. So at least that's that's how it all came about.
0: Who came so, up with the name?
1: Well, yeah. Look,
0: <laughs> let, let's
1: talk about this one. And if Claire's listening, I love you, baby. Like, you know. So she came up with the with the with the term, and I, and I'll agree on that one. But I came up with the catchphrase, right? When the dust settles. So the, when the dust dust settles, and that's the thing that we could we can argue about that later on. <laughs> um, Trade mark.